Hello everyone, my name is Jen Fry and I am a Visioning Council member for the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries. And I really am so grateful that you joined us today. I'd like to welcome you to our Nature Evolutionary webinar series where we delve deeply into what it means to be in co-creative partnership with nature through dynamic explorations into consciousness raising that is at the core of one's vision of a world where people, and nature are co-creative partners and all life has the right to thrive. I want to send a big gratitude and thank you to our members and donors for making possible today's webinar, a litany of wild graces deepening into the heart of nature with Sharifa Oppenheimer. Sharifa Oppenheimer was the founding teacher of the Charlottesville Waldorf School and is the author of several books, including the best-selling Heaven on Earth, a handbook for parents of young children. Sharifa focuses on what she calls nesting circles of belonging, the family, the more than human earth, and the spirit that animates all. She offers sacred earth, sacred self gatherings that explore humanity's biological and spiritual interbeing with our other than human relations. Her most recent book, a Litany of Wild Graces, Meditations on Sacred Ecology, explores these themes through essays, poetry, and litany. You can learn more about Sharifa's work at her website, Sharifa Oppenheimer, spelled O-P-P-E-N-H-I-M-E-R.org. So Sharifa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm so happy to be here, happy to see the beautiful faces. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to invite you, would you like to offer a prayer or poem to open our space? I would love that. Um, last time, last month on the one webinar, the teacher was Krista Nelson, and she really focused on um, the elements different aspects of the elements. And because this tuning to the elements is part of my daily practice, I thought we could begin with um, an attunement to the elements, the elements themselves and the beings that um, uh, the spirit, the spirit beings that inhabit the elements. And what we'll focus on as we do this, we'll be using our breath as the tool what we'll focus on is um, uh, reciprocity, reciprocity. We live our lives with earth, water, fire, air, moving through us constantly. We are always supported and nurtured by the elements. And we also have a responsibility to give back to them. So we'll begin by making ourselves comfortable and um, just be ready to relax. And we can feel our consciousness move from our head and begin to drift down to the heart, into the region of the heart. And with this heart consciousness, we can allow ourselves to become aware of the element of the earth. Perhaps we're sitting down and we can feel our, our feet 
upon the floor, our feet upon the earth. And we just breathe this earth element in. On the inhalation, we feel the qualities of the earth moving in through our body, up, and then circling back down on the exhalation and moving back down. And we feel these qualities of security, safety, rhythm, regularity, a sense of goodness rise up through us. This is the gift of many, one of the many, many gifts of the earth. And then we feel as we're exhaling, we feel the gift that we have to offer. We have to offer the gift of human consciousness. There's consciousness all throughout the universe, but we have human consciousness. And so we offer this gift of human consciousness back to the earth. And just one more breath, attuning to the earth and giving back to the earth. And now we can attune to the element of water. And it is raining here in Virginia, but you can feel like you're outdoors in a gentle rain. And you can feel this water element moving, not only outside of you, washing you, but actually coming in through the fontanelle, this gentle rain washing through the whole interior of your being, through all of your, your emotional spaces, your thinking spaces. We feel this rain washing through us and we feel the purification and also the revivification that water brings us. So a few breaths of taking this water in and feeling any impurities just be washed away out through the feet, out into the stream. And again, a breath in which on the exhalation, we give back this gift of our human consciousness, this capacity to imagine, this capacity to imagine what has not come to be yet. So we offer this imagination of wholeness and goodness back to the element of water. And now we move to the element of fire. And on the inhalation, we can feel maybe in the solar plexus, like the bellows are, are blowing and we feel that spark of fire. And this is the fire of inspiration. It's the fire of warmth for all beings. It's the fire of creativity. This is um, fire in all of its life-giving. And, cre and creative modes. So we feel this flame that is in our own heart, the warmth of our own heart. We feel it be um, blown by the bellows of our intention. And we feel this fire burn. And then on the exhalation, we feel the fire transform and become light. And so it's light that is radiating out from the heart. 
So we breathe this warmth and fire and enthusiasm in, and then we breathe light out to all beings. Now we move to the element of air, and air is, we could say, the most unifying element. Air is the element that we share with all beings. Every breath we breathe has been breathed for millennia by all beings of all species. This air is so intimate and so tender. So as we breathe this air in, we feel the blessing of all of these beings. And as we breathe this air out, we offer the blessing of our humanity. We offer this back to all beings. And now we can attend to the element of ether. And we could say ether is integration. Ether is the miraculous way that all of these elements, these elemental beings, these systems, they all come together and, and in this miracle that is life, we exist within this ether. So a couple of breaths, breathing the miracle in and breathing the miracle back, offering the miracle back to all beings. And we can say, Amen, and so be it. So it is. So it is. Thank you, Sharifa. Thank you. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I think I'd like to start our discussion. I'm so curious. The title of your book is A Litany of Wild Graces. So what, what is a litany? Can you please describe this for us? Yes, I'd be glad to. I was raised as a Catholic, and I think Episcopalians are sort of in uh, a similar uh, kind of um, uh, uh, respect for um, uh, tradition, ancient traditions. And as a little girl, um, I would go to church and the litanies of the saints would be called, they would be sung this beautiful Gregorian chant. So the name of the saint would be sung to the, the congregation and the congregation would sing back and blessings, you know, the blessings of the saint to the congregation and the congregation would give back the blessings of ourselves to the saint. And the, um, the saints were, um, you know, each saint had like their own qualities, their own aspects of um, the finest humanity they could offer to us. And as I began my journey um, a, a number of years ago, I took on a walking meditation. And so I would walk, not, not in kind of a Zen walking kind of meditation, not walking slowly in that way, but simply walking in a very steady, grounded way through the woods. 
And I, I have taken numbers of courses where I've learned the names of the plants. And so I would be walking along and I would say the name of the plant and greet it and say the name and say the name. And I realized, oh, this is like when I was a little girl. And these beings have blessings to offer that are as potent and for me more potent than um, and more palpable, more hands-on. I can touch these beings. I can smell these beings. I can, I can, um, some of them I can eat, you know, some of them are medicine. So very visceral kind of sense of the blessing of this litany of beings that, that, um, that, li that we live with. So that's my sense of a litany. And I did think at one point I would call it a litany of wild saints. Mm. But a friend of mine, a beloved friend of mine, um, said to me, you know, I don't know if saints, I don't know if our saints so, going to be so popular. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, it's grace. It's pure grace that we're given. So Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, it just makes me it so you gave me a little precursor I was I've been curious as I've been reading your book of what your um, how your relationship with nature began I mean it's kind of a silly question because we are nature but your relationship with the natural world and, and were you raised with the understanding that we are all related to nature um, or, or did that develop over time that that developed over time and that developed um out of my own um, impetus. Um, I grew up in Kansas and my dad was a farmer. We didn't live on a farm, we lived in town, but you know, he went a couple of miles to the farm. And so there was nature always all around me, but I, that was the 50s and um, in the Midwest, farmers had uh, a very different kind of relationship um, with, with nature. Um, and it was, um, certainly there was respect of nature, but it wasn't personal. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like a personal mm -hmm. um, relationship with nature. And it was when I was in my 20s, I took some long, long backpacking trips into the Sierra Mountains and um, just be became aware just of the pal pal palpable, um, the beings of nature are, you know, you come to this huge, you know, giant tree and this is a being and this is alive and it's so much bigger, you know, and more visceral than, than I am, you know, the, 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 just the palpability of nature was um, so deeply impressed on me. And I think that as I um, began my career as a teacher, a teacher of young children, I was naturally drawn to the Waldorf school movement because there is such a, uh, a connection with nature and nature is so much a part of the curriculum in the early childhood and also all through the grades. And so for many, many years, um, when I taught in the Waldorf school, um, I was in nature every day. For all the years that I was a teacher, I I was out in nature every single day, and that was wonderful to be um, uh, required to have all the correct uh, uh, clothing to be out in nature in every weather. Yeah. So um, 
so there's a lot in what you just shared, but one, I think that last part that you said is so important about the correct clothing, right? It changes our experience. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. It totally does. And then to have the experience of um, helping to uh, um, orient parents to to dress um, the children, you know, so that they can be comfortable in nature. And really, um, you know, if it's a rainy day and you have good rainwear, there are amazing things. I just took a rain walk um, before, um, you know, I, I, I sat down here uh, because um, it just it, it, the rain, the world in the rain is an entirely different world. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank you. Um, also, you mentioned Waldorf. So this might be an impossible question, but could you like briefly sum up Waldorf education in case anyone has not heard about Waldorf before? Sure. Um, I think that Waldorf education is an education that, um, first of all, it's found, at its foundation understands that we, and therefore our children are spiritual beings. And so, um, the, the entire curriculum from kindergarten through high school, there is uh, the foundation of spirit and it's not informed by any um, religion um, or any belief system. If anything, it is informed by the spirit of nature. Mm -hmm. And um, so this uh, foundation, it's a spiritual foundation and also all through the, all through the, from the earliest to the oldest um, students, there is a marriage of um, the sciences and the arts. So art is not just woven into each lesson. Each lesson is particularly in the grade school is taught through the arts. And the sciences also are incorporated um, through the arts and also through through movement, through song, through movement, through um, um, this whole body engagement with the material. Um, it runs entirely through the whole arc of the education. And I think one of the things that we suffer from, that our society suffers from, is um, that our education has so separated the child from the whole rest of their being, from their body, from their heart, from their emotions, um, from their capacity to do, from vision, from their um, their wish to um, uh, you know to, to do something good in the world. There's just this very small cognitive sphere that is addressed, and um, so I felt like if there's anything I can do for um, the world and for the future. It is to help shape these um, young people so that as they step into the world, they step in with a whole entire intact being um, to meet the world with. Thank you. <laughs> One for the explanation, but also for the work because <laughs> it's so, um, so important to help support our children come up in this world at any time, but particularly at this time. Particularly at this time. And I think now even more um, uh, the, the need for an education that, that, is, that has nature as a foundational aspect is so crucial. And I do think that that is coming more and more um, um, to the fore. Yeah, 
So I've been listening to you going back and forth. Oh, which way do I want to go? But um, so the one thing you would, something that you had said earlier made me think of this quote that you wrote in, um, in Wild Graces. And that is the consistent reply I received from the green world was joy, joy, joy at being seen, honored, and spoken to. Yes. 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 You know, when we um, embark upon going into the natural world, um, we, we need to understand that, that we're stepping into other beings' living rooms. We're stepping into their homes. And so um, we need to step in with respect and appreciation and um, with, um, we need to ask permission, yeah? And so when I, I, you know, I had had this whole long history of being connected to the natural world, but I felt like, particularly with the children, when I was with the children, there was so much human interaction. And I thought when I retired, now instead of the human interaction being foreground and nature being background, nature can be foreground and I can make personal relationships and what on earth does that look like? And so that was scary because um, I don't know how to do that, right? But I did know that um, a real foundational tenant is to ask permission. And so I would walk into the woods and I would see, you know, an amazing plant and um, I would want to touch it and smell it and just, you know, be close to it. And I felt, well, gosh, if I were meeting you, I wouldn't get right in your face. You know, even if I think you're really interesting, <laughs> I, would, I would find a way to come close. And so I would ask permission. And what came back to me, like I'd be bent over a plant and what would come back sort of like, wow, was this sense of, yes, yes, please come close please see me mm -hmm. and be with me. And I feel like even people who are so attuned to nature, oftentimes we're walking through nature mm -hmm. rather than being embedded in, like, like, like walking through a neighborhood with our neighbors and greeting our neighbors and stopping to chat, you know? If, Oftentimes when we walk through nature, particularly if we're on the Appalachian Trail and we're a through hiker and we're just going to get the miles in that we need to get in today, you know, there, it's like, it's like, you know, walking on a track and you're trying to get your miles in. So just this sense of yes and pure joy at being seen and being recognized. And I do feel like one of the reasons why we can treat nature with the disrespect that we do is because we're not in personal relationship, because we don't recognize nature as beings. We recognize nature as things, as resources, as um, something uh, that will serve us, useful to us. Mm -hmm. So my sense, and I've talked with other people about this, like when you ask permission, 
are you just overwhelmed with like the joy that comes back? And the answer is yes. So I think it's a common experience. Yeah, that's my experience as well. And and both ways, like joy of in the more than human world, like just happy to have humans paying them attention. <laughs> and and like you said, asking permission, you know, recognizing that they are alive, sentient beings, but also joy for myself. You know, it's it always still to this day, it amazes me that when I'm just in the worst mood or just overwhelmed with all the horrors of the world. Um, if I just go to the white pines, the big one here, that when I go to white pine or when I just go out, spend some time with the plants, I, you just have to be joyful. And that's, they remind us of the joy of life. Yes. Yes. I think that's really true. And I think that, that um, indigenous people worldwide for millennia have had a sense that we, um, we know not, not only belong to nature, but we are necessary, mm -hmm. that we have a role to play in nature and it's our attention, that we give our attention to nature. And, and in the Americas particularly, um, all over this entire continent, continents, uh, North and South America, um, Native people for, for 13,000 years, 15,000 years, tended the wild like gardeners, were gardeners of the wild. And so the wild was always having the attention mm -hmm. of, of human consciousness, this attention. Um, Robin Wall Kimmerer has written in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, that her people forever would go to the sweet grass and they would tend it and they would they would take out the dead pieces and and they would and they would also harvest and harvest in a particular way and then when that i think it became illegal like it now was in a, a national park the sweet grass began to die it, it was dying because it didn't have the it was used to the thousands of years of attention and now it didn't have the attention and i think that that's probably true that, that's one story. I think there are thousands of stories like that. Mm -hmm. And your work with the plants, um, you know, uh, um, recognizing the plants and going into the plant world. I think any time we can go into the world just with our simple appreciation or particularly if we know enough to use them as medicines or to use them as food, you know, it's just a gift, a gift to ourselves, certainly, but a gift to, um, uh, our interbeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you said something else earlier that I think uh, is really important. So I want to go back to it. And you said when you made the switch of bringing nature into the foreground, that it was scary. And I think that's really one, I want to thank you for being authentic and voicing that. Um, and I think that's, that is important that for many of us, we haven't grown up in this world where nature is just part of us. Um, so yeah, so there's often a lot of fear. Yes, and I, um, you know, it was so interesting because <clears throat> I retired, so I'd had a whole entire career, and um, you know, I, I, I felt like I knew things, and I, I did. <laughs> you know, we, we have our areas, and we know things, and um, but this was something that I knew I, I didn't know, and it had been decades that I had been in a situation like a child where I 
didn't, I just didn't know. And I felt very fumbly and bumbly. Uh, and I went in for lots of times, sort of apologetically, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm here. You know, I'm such a dunce. I don't know how to do this. But here I am. Um, and, and even with all of my stumbling and apologies, I just always felt the plants were like, great. <laughs> here you are. Here we are together. <laughs> I mean, there was no... I don't know, there was no test I had to pass. <laughs> yeah, so I would just encourage everyone, you know, and I've had people say to me, I don't know what to do when I'm there, you know, and I said, well, just, just be there and, and admit that, just sort of admit that to the beings that are here. I don't exactly know what to do. And also Joy Harjo, our National Poet Laureate, Laureate has given us very specific um, instructions. She says, remember the plants, remember the animals. They have their own stories and histories. They have their own families. Go to them, speak to them, listen to them. They are alive poems. So that's always my advice. Like when you're going into the world, take a little bit of Joy Harja with you. Speak to them, listen to them. They are alive poems. Lovely. Also, uh, that idea that we don't know what to do when we go out into nature, that's such a human thing. <laughs> like, um, maybe that's the whole point is that, you know, we can simply be. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, and there are ways that we can train ourselves to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so going back to Waldorf and talking about this art and science, uh, and I'm just thinking art, in so many of your poems, you mentioned beauty. And so I wonder, uh, what, why is beauty so important? <sighs> well... You know, I wrote a, a bit about this in the most recent book I wrote, which was a brain science book, a book on brain science and child development. And I was asking myself that same question, why is beauty so crucial? And um, some of you might know of the Fibonacci sequence or the golden ratio, the golden proportion. And I believe that the structure at any rate of our universe and of our planet and of our plants and our own selves, this structure is this astonishingly beautiful spiral. It's um, if you see a conch shell that begins right in the center and then it spirals out, that uh, uh, geometry is, uh, is the, the Fibonacci sequence. And so I think that beauty is absolutely foundational to who we are. And I was just reading today, there's um, a great, great paper, a scientific paper on the way that, um, that visually uh, um, the natural world impacts, but all the senses. It looks at all the senses and how all the different senses impact our well-being. And um, so they were looking at visually, um, beauty visually, like it affects our heart rate, it affects our pulse, it affects our brain waves. Uh, we are profoundly um, impacted by beauty and particularly the beauty of nature. And I believe it's because the natural world has this um, 
this uh, uh, mathematical, like the beauty of mathematics that informs um, all of this beauty that we see. So I, I mean, why beauty? I think it's because who we are. <laughs> Thank you. So speaking of beauty, uh, would you like to offer a poem? Oh, I would love to. This is, um, this is a poem about the breath. A lot of the poems, most of the poems, um, are really stories, and they um, they tell an experience that I've had. And so this is an experience um, of being awake at night, and uh, with the windows open, and um, just being aware of the, the the breath, the air as it moves. You know, like on a summer night as it comes in. This is called night breath. In nuanced darkness, the spherical nature of sound echoes in cochlear spirals. Cicada's song resonates with red fox's shrill bark and moonlit breezes. Through tapestried shadows, the breath repeats, ooh, heart beating its rhythm. This breath, created by tulip poplars and spice bush. This breath we share with red-winged blackbirds who feed their fledglings one sunflower seed by one. Orcas reaching and shimmering in sunlight as they play off Vashon Island. A bobcat whose shriek punctures, punctuates pungent darkness. It is a layered elixir infused with the exhaled dreams of boundless furred and feathered ancestors. Since the first chloroplast invited mitochondria to dance a tango of symbiosis, each breath a stratified sediment of beings, a fertile broth, drifts damp and lush through bedroom windows. Love my experience just lying in the dark, <laughs> listening to the breath. Mm. Please. Thank you. Thank you. So listening to the breath, uh, reading your this book, throughout it, you mentioned so much about the importance of language and particularly language of verbs. So can you please say more about the role that language plays in our lives. Yeah, yes, absolutely. You know, it, it is a symbiosis because we do shape language, mm. but language entirely shapes us. Language shapes us. And it has to do with the, um, uh, it really has to do with the, the physics, so to speak, of sound. Um, we, our bodies resonate to the sounds that we hear. It's extremely subtle resonance. We may not pick up on it, but to give two extremes, if we are standing in a city, and I just read 
this, I just read this in this article on, on the senses and how we respond physiologically. And they gave the same kind of um, example. If we're in the city and we're in, the garbage trucks are going by and the jackhammers are there and there are sirens in the distance, our whole entire physiology measurements, it's measurable, is dramatically different. And with we can feel that. We can feel how that makes us feel. That impacts our emotions. It impacts our mind. It impacts our capacity to think. And when we're sitting beside a stream or sitting beside a river and we hear the sound of the water, we hear the sound of the water as it, as it um, saturates, it moves against the, the surface of the, the rocks. Um, we hear the sound of the bird call, we hear the wind, and it literally, our vibrational fields are, um, are radically different because of sound. And so, of course, the words that we use deeply impact us. And oftentimes, words that are verbs that are living and alive um, bring that livingness and that aliveness to us and and words that are nouns um, tend to live more let's see verbs would be more like activities and nouns are more concepts they're they're things here's my computer here's a cup of tea and that's that's more conceptual whereas if I say jumping, leaping, laughing, crying, then a whole different aspect of the brain actually steps in and processes those. And so I think that it's so um, uh, helpful for us to um, be aware of our language and be aware how our language not only shapes us, but it shapes our society. Again, I do think that the, one of the reasons why, we're, why we have um, it, so devastatingly impacted the natural world is because we think of the natural world as a concept, mm -hmm. as a thing, mm -hmm. because we're not actually living, breathing, uh, heart pounding, beating, speaking with the natural world. Yeah, thank you. I've been, uh, for a couple of years now, I've been fascinated by language myself and the impact that language has on how we see the world, how we interact with the world. And so I was really excited reading these in your, your writings and your poems. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I recently I heard some, read something um, about other languages who are more verb-based that they, they're focused more on relationships. Yes, and again, um, Robert Wall Kimmerer, she mentions this, um, that the Potawatomi language is 70% 70, 70 verbs and English is 70% nouns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and of course, um, Robin Wall Kimmerer also talks about animate, you know, the animate world yes. and how important that language is. And one of the things that I've gotten from her, which we share through one a bit, is the, the pronoun key, K-I, rather than um, which is an animate genderless pronoun rather than the word it. So when we're talking about a tree, we talk to them, we refer to them as key or the river as key rather than so that they're living rather than. It's K with a K. With a K, K. Yeah, K-I. And then the plural form is kin, K-I-N. Oh, 
beautiful. Oh, yeah. I love that. Oh yeah. my gosh. It's the right pronoun. Right. Right. Kim and Ken. Yeah. And so that's part of what's brought me into this idea about language and, and what you say, like how language forms us, because I've noticed, so I've been using these words for, I don't know, four or five years now. Mm -hmm. And I notice how my view of the world has shifted. And when I read uh, things that you refer to trees as it or rocks as it, it's, it's like jarring to me. Uh -huh. um, so I can see how I'm formed by it. And then it, it you know, makes me think long, bigger, like how else are we being formed? Uh, but what you said here also is like, we, we do shape language. And so that's a good reminder to me as well. And I think that is one of the areas that we're, we're places we're in in society now is, is shaping that language and how do we want our language to be shaped and be formed? Yes, yes. And I really think that as we, as we are shaping language, that story is, you know, story is language, you know? And so as we're shaping the stories that we want to be our stories for the future, that that gives us an opportunity to really consciously attend to the language that we use and to be um, conscious of bringing in the verbs, bringing in the livingness, bringing in this sense of key and ken. Um, uh, and it is story that will give us that, that avenue, you know, and there are many, many, many people, many organizations, you know, that are really looking at reshaping our story. What is our story? Mm -hmm. How do we want our story to move into the future? And that was um, a, uh, an impetus for me to write um, Wild Graces was here can be, you know, a, a, little, a little tiny piece of this story that we are creating together. Yeah, yes, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so going back to the language, uh, in, in so your poem Word, you wrote, there's several things I almost quoted from there, but this one in particular just really moved me. And it is, when we birthed human words, they were beings, alive, sacred, they shaped the world. So even that, I feel like, you know, even in that you're saying words, words themselves are alive beings. Yes, 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 yes. And I think that there's, um, I wonder if you are familiar or with our participants are familiar with the, the writer and the philosopher, David Abram, mm -hmm. David Abram. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, words are magical. Words are magical beings. And that when we use words, that we can be aware of um, the magic, the potency that they have and use them very, um, very consciously in order to begin to shape um, the future. And certainly as we live in this particular time when words are, um, um, words are being used, uh, specifically used in a manipulative way, mm -hmm. um, that we need to be really conscious to use that um, power, that magic of the word in a healing and, uh, and a healthy kind of way. Yes. <laughs> uh, so how, 
how would you recommend for our listeners? You've already given some little tidbits here, but I'm curious, how would you recommend that they begin to deepen their relationship with nature? Well, I would say, get the right clothing. (laughs) Make sure you've got good boots, you know, something for the rain, layers that you can take off, some sunscreen, a hat, like get yourself ready. And just go into the natural world as often as you can manage to do it. And I think that rather than going to many different places, if there is a particular place, if you live in the city and there's a tree and a park bench, go there and go there daily. Go there as often as you can. Consistency is um, really crucial because these are beings right? And so we go there and, and they get to know us as we get to know them. And so I think like having a place where we sit, like a sit spot is a wonderful practice um, to just go and sit and to observe. Another way to do it and the way I do it is to walk. Um, and I just have paths in woodland paths that I walk and they're each day, you know, it's the same kind of path. So I have the neighbors that the green neighbors that I'm that I'm greeting. But I think that if people wanted to, there are three different kind of categories. And the first one is your senses. So if you spend a week and you go and you sit by your tree or you have your path and you're walking on your path, for the first week, you pay attention to sound. You're just always listening to sound. Sounds of the natural world, sounds of your your footsteps. Um, The next week, sight. The next week, um, um, you pay attention to scent. The next week, taste, you know, are there some things that you can taste? You pay attention to your senses. So you're you're honing your senses, you're you're training your senses, you're refining your senses. And then um, uh, another way you could do it is by Another week you could spend attending to um, the earth, the element of the earth. Just really focus on the earth. The next week, focus on water. The next week, focus on air. The next week, fire. And and so again, now your your senses are honed and now you're tuning into the beingness of the elements. And then another week you could spend you know, working with, we could say the realms of nature, or as we used to say, the kingdoms of nature. So minerals, go to a place where there are stones, you know, and appreciate the stones, minerals, plants, animals, humans, yourself, and, and the unseen beings. So, you know, if we spent a week with each of these, we'd have like 16 weeks of you know a way to focus and that kind of gives you something to do um, and it takes away that sense of I don't know what to do or um, it might be that you you do you do these things for a while and then after a while you realize oh actually I don't have to do so much <laughs> I just can be here and all of these senses and awarenesses will the natural beings will call them out in us. Thank you for that. Uh, If anybody has any questions, please feel free to raise your hand or put it in the chat. And Sharifa, I just, while we're waiting for them, I just wanna say, I really appreciate you talking about 
going to a particular place. I mean, you mentioned sit spot, which is a practice, but also I think so often when we start talking about connecting with nature, people think we have to travel far, we have to go far from home. And to me, I, I always feel like we could stay in our backyard or if we're in a city, our city block, and just go there every day and we'd still have so much to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that you can do, maybe even if you're in an apartment, is um, put a bird feeder out. Put a bird feeder out and, and life will flock to you. It's, it's just, I, I've fed birds, you know, my whole life and they're like my, my dear friends. Um, so yes, we don't need to go to the National Parks. If we get to that, we're lucky. But, you know, just to be exactly where we are, um, I think is, uh, um, that's where we will have the best chance of really becoming embedded in, um, in our world. Thank you. So anybody have questions? Or <laughs> um, I have a whole list. I want to talk to you for days about so many things that you bring up. Um, and I am going to ask you to read another poem before we close, but I want to say one, bring up one that you wrote called Generations. Mm -hmm. And in that, in particular, you close that one, end that one by saying, interspecies collaboration, or can I finally say, this is love. Yes. Yes. Yes, we are so healed by nature. We are so made whole. We find ourselves in nature. And we have all of these ways that we describe nature. And, you know, we have all the science. But can we just finally break down and say, this is pure love. This is love. Yeah, and when I read those words, to me that um, you brought forward one of the most powerful aspects of remembering our connection with nature. And that when we, when we move into that relationship where, where we recognize one another as incredible beings, as relatives, it shifts our worldview. And for me, it's about uh, remembering that we are always, we are always loved just as who we are, which is so different than what we learned from our capitalistic colonialistic society. Um, and also we start to see how the world actually conspires to support us and surrounds us with so much abundance and gifts, which again is so different from what we see in the news. It's so true. I mean, we have this whole, our, our society has this whole scarcity principle. Mm. And, and it's because if you have a scarcity principle, then you can sell more things, right? Mm -hmm. And there is abundance. There is such abundance on this planet. And, and the way that we can know that is just in the backyard, you know, just look at the ants, just look at the simplest, simplest aspects of nature and abundance and love. Mm -hmm. It's like love is the animating principle, like of all of this life. That's the animating principle, abundance, generosity. Yes, thank you.
Uh, so we have a question from Julia about, I'm curious how, what you find with adults who in particular have been disconnected for um, a while and you know, really need to step back into reciprocal relationship with nature. Well, I think that um, just sort of the, the general principle that um, don't give advice that isn't asked for. <laughs> I, think that, I think that kind of is the bottom line. Like if you haven't asked for it, then save your breath. But I think that, that if there's an openness, if there's asking, if in a conversation, you drop a hint and they say, oh, tell me more, you know, um, then um, I would say rather than talk about it, go outside, go outside with them, you know, go with the eyes of a child mm -hmm. and look at, you know, look at the plant. You know, I mean, all you have to do is step outside by a tree and you can say, do you see that branch that's waving to us? That one, see that one? They'll see that one too, mm -hmm. you know? So you just walk outside and do it. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, thank you. Would you like to offer us another poem? I would love to. This is, um, this is a poem that's actually not in the book. It's a, it's a writing, it's an essay that's not in the book, but it's about what we have been speaking. This is called Mind. I'm in the garden, listening for thoughts to be able to tell you what it's like. It's different than you imagine, not at all what we've been taught. Spider teaches me to weave a perfect web a perfect geometry of proportion, symmetry, and depth. It is spun of the substance of my own soul. I sit inside this translucent architecture and wait. Spider grandmother and I, old beyond time, we fish in the currents of Earth's breath, the mind of God. Our nets below in life's breezes as shoals of thoughts, schools of ideas swim in the organic choreography of one. We are designed to wait and breathe, to ride the currents of wind. Here is the breeze of a hummingbird's wing, and here the wind of a sycamore's respiration. Words come floating by. I catch one, gaze and turn it over, sniff and taste. Is this a messenger true enough to slip through the barbarian's minefield between the weapons of mass distraction aimed at a 21st century mind? I wrap each word in silk, so when strung together, they will be prayer beads. I hand this living rosary to you. May each word being open and its foliated perfume call to you. Step out of the mausoleum of concepts and in to the living mind of the forest. What I'm trying to say is mind does not live inside human heads. Mind is a quality of the living earth. The square walls of your room, the linear streets of our concrete cities breed thoughts that bump into corners, tangle at crossroads and crash. They are thoughts contained 
constrained, tamed. Step into the garden with me. Fish in the generous breath of life and understand mind anew. So wonderful and yes, yeah, so fitting to our conversation. It's like you wrote it for this conversation. Oh, thank you. You know, I've been trying to write that for all these years. I could never figure out, I couldn't get the words to say it. And I was sitting on the deck one evening and it's like, I was fishing for the words and they came. <laughs> Thank you. Do you have any final um, speaking words, any final words for closing or um, for our audience? Well, gosh. Thank you all so very much. Thank, for, thank you everyone for being here. And my wish is that when we finish here and we say goodbye and thank you, we'll close the computer and everyone will go outdoors and we'll just be with all of our relations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you all for joining us today. And Sharifa, thank you so much for the amazing work you've done in this world, for your poems, for sharing yourself with us so generously. And again, uh, if you would like to learn more about Sharifa's work, please visit her website. So I spelled her last name, but the first name you might need help on too. So it's S-H-R-I-F-A. S-H-A. Oh, thank you. S-H-A-R-I-F-A-O-P-P-E-N-H-E-I-M-E-R. I misspelled it on my, sorry. You'll also find it on our website, on her page. You can click on it there. Um, and I do really encourage you to go to her website because it is just beautiful and full of inspiration. She has videos and writing there. So it's particularly if you need a little pick me up, her website would be a lovely place to visit. And I also invite you to join us next month on September 11th for our next seminar, which is Black Joy in Green Spaces with Chris Omni. And this, this uh, talk just serendipitously happened. We scheduled it not knowing this on the eve of National Black Joy Day. So it's just perfect. And uh, you'll be able to find this recording as well as all of our other webinars on in the series on our website, natureevolutionaries.com, as well as on uh, Spotify and Apple iTunes. And of course, while visiting our website, I always encourage you to please press that donate button. Your donations help us to continue to do our work of creating educational opportunities in listening to and building relationships with our living earth. And on our website, if you've not joined our mailing list, again, I encourage you to do that because we have several upcoming events this fall and I think you'll be interested in them. Um, well, the first one is we have our biannual gratitude ceremony, which will this year will be held on September 24th at, and this is offering gratitude for mycelium. So we'll be sharing details soon. And then for our third year, I think it's third year in a row, our director, Alicia Holliday and Hilary Giovale will once again offer an ancestor circle, which that will start later this fall. And these ancestor circles have just been a profound healing experience um, for our members, allowing them to go even deeper and um, make some really incredible discoveries. 
So thank you again for joining us. And until next time, um, may you enjoy the incredible gifts of this beautiful world. As Sharifa invited you, may you spend time outside and be and remember that relationship with all, soaking in the beauty and the love that surrounds us. And may we breathe and dream together. So have a beautiful day. Thank you, everyone.